And we are recording today on the podcast all the way from England. We're on Skype and I'm doing it with the We Were Rad Guys. And I got Anthony, Andrew and Clint. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, welcome. Uh, nice to speak to you, Dale. Yeah, nice. good to hear you, Dale. Yeah, yeah. Super. How you doing? Good, good. Super excited about this one. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a delay, so I'm going to let you guys do most of the talking on this one, and I'm super interested. I, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, for the listeners that don't know too much about you, uh, We Were Rad is uh, a Facebook group. You guys are doing a BMX book, and uh, you're, uh, I don't know if you guys call yourself old school, but you're thick in the scene in the UK. You do great things, and I'm uh, super excited to talk to you guys. Oh, thank you very much, Dale. Great to speak to you, too. Yeah, thanks, Dale. All right. Well, let's start, I guess, a little bit about the background on you three guys. So maybe tell, uh, tell us, yeah, yeah, your uh, history, background, how long you've been involved in BMX and uh, all the good things. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I suppose BMX started for me back in the early 80s. And um, the obsession started watching that, that famous episode of Chips and, and kind of drooling over the bikes and that kind of thing. And I just remember getting the magazines and, and my mum worked in a news agent and I'd see all those kind of like amazing diamondbacks and mongooses. And, but sadly, you know, the 80s were not a good time for many people in the UK and my mum and dad didn't have much money. And by kind of pure chance, my sort of dad worked uh, at printers and they printed the case catalogue. And um, there was kind of a returns warehouse, which is a bit of a, an exclusive thing where we lived and... I remember going there one day and there was this bike that looked like an ultra burner, but was a lot cheaper. It was, it was called a GS burner. And, um, you know, mum and dad said I could have it for my birthday. And, and that's where my love affair sort of started. And I sort of lived on that bike for four or five years. And, and kind of um, the, the kind of most amusing story that the boys will laugh at is, is the only really cool thing I could have was a, was a Harrow plate. And, um, that kind of Harrow plate made me feel like Bob Harrow, one of the Harrow team. So that, that, that's kind of where it started for me. And um, I kind of rode right the way through the 80s on that. You know, I still didn't have much money and even rode it um, when I went to uni. And I remember I went to uni in Liverpool and people would laugh at me back then, you know, as, as a sort of grown sort of 18-year-old um, on this sort of rally burner. And But it was a bit of a thing. We had a bit of an old school scene even back then. And... Um, uh, you know, the old school thing never really left. It was sort of, uh, I was even sort of making bikes in the 90s and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I'll let the other guys have their say. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Dale. So, it's, uh, yeah, so for me, um, Andy, um, I think I first saw BMX and I think it was over the Christmas holidays. I think it was either maybe 82 or 83. Um, and it was like indoor racing. It might have been like the Jag world championships from las vegas but i could be wrong uh and for me i think i was only about six at the time i saw it on tv and i was just instantly hooked um i just love like the, the factory look you know all the all the teams all the riders you know like patterson and gt you know all those cool all those cool you know uh jerseys that they used to wear and that's where this sort of obsession started for me um i got my first and only bmx um in 1984 for my seventh birthday um you know i was never any i never really got into racing or freestyle big time i was never really much good but for me it was just all about the love hanging out with mates and building our own tracks in the woods and egging each other on to just do bigger and longer jumps um so for about maybe about four years it was 
it was everything to me for about four years. But then just naturally things move on and you drift, you sort of drift out of it. And then I rediscovered it back in about 2010 um, as part of the old school scene. And from then I've been into it since then, really. Clint, what about yourself? I, I was a bit of a street urchin, so my idea of something to ride was something I'd find down an alleyway or, or hung on a lamppost, something like that. It, it was always a bit scruffy. Um, I used to go to the tip for my dad quite a bit and drag stuff home, a couple of things together. Um, and then one year, my mum and dad took me to um, the old hat works in Stockport, and the top floor was selling um, BMX bikes. And they just pointed to a kind of a zone of bikes, which I think must have been somewhere between 60 and 100 pounds, something like that, maybe maybe more. And I seen a blue and yellow tough burn, and I thought, that's the bike for me. I wasn't really interested in the chrome, just the, the blue and yellow really caught my eye, and that was it. Boom, I got a red and yellow one. Cool. And how did you guys actually meet them? Uh, well, obviously, it was kind of like Andy got back in 2010 to the old school scene, and, and I got more into it probably 2011. And we're very lucky, sort of being in the northwest, it's a bit of a hotbed of BMX and old school BMX. And there were lots of rides, and we just kind of started to meet on the rides. And um, these were quite a regular thing. There were Southport rides in Manchester and Liverpool and Wigan. and. Um, just became really cool friends, you know, from from hanging out and building old school bikes and riding about and mucking about together. So that's where it started, really. Yeah, and I see those, you know, the rides that you guys do. Obviously, I've been looking in over the years on stuff on social media, on Facebook, but you have a huge community. And um, yeah, it seems like it's, it's getting bigger and bigger, right? Uh, yeah, that's right, Dale. I mean, we, like I say, we met we all, the three of us met through like the, the, the forums as it was then. I mean, you know, obviously now like Facebook has taken over quite a bit, but, but back then, you know, forums were like the king really. And that's how we met through the forums, like, you know, with like the restoration collection of bike, collecting of bikes and things like that. And then we saw that there were rides. So the three of us just attended, a, you know, a few rides and got to meet loads of cool people through that. Um, you know, some of them started out with maybe like, you know, five, ten people, and within a few years, they they really grew to the point where you know certainly a few years ago, um, the Cleethorpes ride. I think there were like some like th maybe three hundred people. I could be wrong on that ride. Um, you know, so the, the the scene is you know it's really big and it's uh, you know showing no signs of um, uh, shrinking. Really, it's still as strong as ever. Yeah, that's amazing. And so let's brings me on to the the book. You know, it's the thing that I really wanted to to touch on today and to talk about. Love what you guys are doing. It's amazing. You guys have my favorite Facebook page. I just love to get on there and, you know, just look at all the pictures that people are posting and it seems like everybody's contributing. So what was the idea with the book? How did you come up with it? The concept? How's it going? I know you guys are ready to launch. Um, yeah, just kind of kind of fill us in and uh, the, the whole idea and how it started, you know? It, it all started... Uh... It was about 2015 and I had an idea of doing a kind of old school photocopier style zine um, for one of the events we attend. Um, it didn't really take off the ground, but then I was, the next year I was determined to do it. So 2016, we did a rag. Um, it must have been about 100 pages in the end. We had quite a few people contributing, um, but Andy and Ant were the main people who stepped up um, and interviewed um, 
Bob Harrow and Andy Ruffle, um, and it it was it was the kind of it, it went so well. Uh, when it finished, we think, well, we must do this next year because it's just been a, a fabulous success. And then it, it kind of quickly spiraled out of control, and it's like, well, actually, let's do a book. It, it's 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 it seems like we we, we can't get enough information into a zine and by this point we we, we we kind of become so much involved with the community we knew there was a lot of stories to be told we knew there was a lot of information out there photographs um but the, the kind of the story of kids like us from the streets had never gone out there it was always you know riders from the states your andy ruffles all the books you ever read all the magazines you ever read they were mainly focused on the key riders, you know, the kind of the glitz and the glam, where there was thousands of us doing our little thing in our, in our back gardens and, and, you know, down kind of mines and God knows what else kids were riding back then. Anything where you could do a little stunt on the pavement, it, it kind of, it, it seemed like a, a story that needed to be told um, and, and no one had told it and it, it just felt like the time was right to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I see you guys, you kind of, what's so cool is you're documenting it as you go along. And I see um, some of the photos you guys have posted. Literally, you're on the, you know, you're, you're sitting there with just hundreds of photos around you. And I, again, I see, see the stuff that everybody's posting to you guys and sending you guys. Uh, I mean, is it overwhelming? I mean, there's just so much good stuff that, I mean, no, none of us have really seen, you know. Like I say, it's not always... The stuff from the magazines, it's what people have saved themselves, their own photo albums and stuff, and they're all uh, tagging in and posting and sending to you guys. I mean, how overwhelming is it with all the, all the photos, even though it must be super fun looking at everything, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what we've done is we've really, what, what I like to call, we've created an emotional history, you know. Um, and these are sort of fragments of memories um, from hundreds of, of different sources, and, uh, you know, in, in the book, we don't actually, um, you know, we don't actually comment on stuff. We show people uh, and we don't tell. It's that kind of thing. And it's very democratic. And the way it's done is that um, we have, you know, world champions next to everyday kids with their recollections. And um, we've tried to make the book as kind of diverse as possible. You know, there's as much sort of gender difference in there and family and culture. Um, and thanks to the hard work of the guys, we've, we've kind of amassed 12,000 images um, already. Um, and in the book, there's probably only about 1,300. Um, so we've got, you know, a huge archive, which I think is a very important thing that, you know, we, we want to do something with ultimately. Um, and even like you know, we've already talked about book two potentially and things like that. Um, you know, um, we've been very, very lucky. Um, yeah, do you want to carry on uh, expand on that, Andy? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, Dale. Like just like Anne said, really, um, we've been overwhelmed. I mean, when we when we thought about this, I don't know. We maybe thought we might get maybe a hundred or maybe two hundred people sending in photographs and sharing their memories and stories with us. But but to be honest with you, we've been absolutely overwhelmed and amazed really by the response. Um, we've you know, we've received, uh, uh, there's over 400 contributors in the book. And, and even now daily, we're still getting new photographs and stories posted up. Uh, the response has been absolutely um, unbelievable, really. Um, obviously, it's been, 
you know, this is it's been a project for about four years. Um, and with the events of like the past year with the whole COVID thing and the lockdowns, um, in some ways, obviously, it's delayed the whole process by by a while because we weren't the three of us weren't able to meet up. We were having to do things remotely, you know, sorting through photographs, you know, editing text, um, you know, deciding on the, the route that we wanted to go. So it, it has slowed things down. Um, but in other ways, it's been an absolute godsend because people, you know, people have been furloughed, they've been off work. You know, they've not been able to go on the holiday. They've had more time on their hands. So they've literally been able to, like, literally go up into the lofts, delve through their, their attics, the sheds, you know, wade through their, their archives of photographs. And the amount, the amount of uh, material we've received within the last, well, 12 months has been absolutely amazing, really. So, you know, although it's been difficult it, in some respects, you know, with remotely in lockdown, We've been absolutely overwhelmed. It's been amazing, the response, really. Clint, would you like to add anything as well? Um, I'd, I'd just add that we've spent many, many, many afternoons sifting through those photographs and, and arguing which ones we liked. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, at times it felt like it was never going to end. There was just so many photographs, and they're all fabulous. I mean, really are. They, you know, even kind of really tatty black and white ones that are kind of half stuck to the back of another one because they got wet. They just ooze kind of atmosphere and, and, and those times. And we've, we've had to come up with kind of few systems where, because luckily because there's three of us, we, we could outvote each other as to what kind of pictures made it in or what didn't. And um, we've done our best to make sure that everyone who submitted is in the book in some way or other. I think what's been really good, Dale, is that, you know, me, Andy and Clint, although we're all old schoolers, we're all, we all come at this project from a slightly different angle. There's all sorts, you know, Clint is, is the grimy northern one and, and uh, Andy loves his race. And, and for me, you know, freestyle and, and kind of chrome and, and, and neon colours were what I remember mostly about, you know, the 80s and BMX. So with that, it's been brilliant because it's brought a real balance to, you know, and many long arguments to, to which pictures we chose for the book and different chapters. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I love anything you guys post because I feel like I'm on the same wing, you know, wavelength. We're all the same age and, and uh, you know, the, the clothes when somebody posts, uh, you know, you guys are like, oh, he's got a blue capper. Oh, he's got a red capper. I'm like, I had one of those, you know. It's like it's all the all the same stuff, you know, the rave culture and all that stuff. So, I, yeah, I, I thoroughly love anything that you guys do. The cover, I mean, that must have been a, a huge task in itself choosing the cover what was how did that go about how did you come up you know i mean was that a lot of debating a lot of you know potentials uh, yeah let's let's talk cover yeah i mean for me i call it the abbey road shot um the ramon picture mm -hmm. and it, it was one of our very first one of the early interviews that we did we, we went and visited the news home family um and it was it was kind of like 50-50 when we arrived. I don't know what they expected. And um, luckily, I think, you know, we managed to win them over with our sincerity and our passion. And by the end, because because the Newsomes don't just have that picture, they have like a whole collection of amazing kind of stories of races and behind the scenes. And, um, you know, we must have done something right, Dale, because, because they, we kind of, you know, they had a little confrontation. Conflab, and then they came back and said that we had permission to use that amazing picture. 
And, and that was kind of almost like the, the first major green light for the whole project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that picture so much and it, it continues to show up on social media, different people posting it. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that that picture has been shown and, and, and passed around on Facebook and Instagram and I, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and like I say, the backstory is uh, yeah super amazing, you know. Funnily enough, I, I was determined to find a few alternatives, and Ant was had his heart set on it. And you know, it is a fabulous shot. Let's face it. But I said, you know, we need to do our due diligence. Let's find some other great shots, and we did. But none quite captured the kind of zeitgeist of what we're trying to achieve than that, really. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, what I also I thought was super cool is you guys literally, you know, got in the cars and went around the country and interviewed different people, and you you guys really dived into some of the people that I can't wait to read to find out what what they've been up to, where they go, people that were in BMX at the start and then just kind of disappeared. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about some of the guys you interviewed and and some of the stories, and I know you literally went to to some of these places to to meet up and hang out with these people. Uh, yeah, super excited to know more about that. Yeah, so um, one of the one of the kind of most memorable of our kind of brilliant kind of road trips that we had because you know they were kind of old school adventures because we we'd kind of um, we'd always try and pop into old bike shops on the way and see if there were any old BMX parts as part of kind of the trips. But one of the most you know memorable was going to see the Merry family, um, you know, who, who obviously ran Hot Wheels, um, and we got to see, um, you know, the, the late great Graham Mary, who sadly passed away. Um, but what what was intimidating for me was we kind of turned up at their huge offices, and um, we were shepherded into the biggest table I've ever seen there. There was probably about you know fifteen people around the table, and it was like, <laughs> okay, throw some questions at us. And I was like, oh my god, this is real. We're, you know, this is real journalism now. And um, but they were absolutely lovely, and, and Graham especially. You know, we will never forget that. And um, they took us under their wing and gave us such amazing stories. And, um, you know, I don't want to give too much away now because there's some fantastic stuff about maybe the end of BMX and what happened to some of the bikes and bike parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's kind of an exclusive use. Um, we, we went down to Cornwall to see the Harveys who ran um, Mousehold BMX. Um, they were a lovely family. And um, their the dad who ran the shop, had some fantastic recollections and, and bits and pieces that he t- tucked away and, and, and some um, just fabulous um, archives of really. Yeah, what was amazing about the, the Harvest Dale was that they kind of epitomised Atis BMX because they were a BMX family through and through and, and that's something that comes across as a kind of narrative thread of the whole book that that without the family kind of supporting people, uh, a lot of people wouldn't be able to do BMX. So, so you, know, you know, dad and mum, you know, dad had the shop, but he also did races and the two daughters, you know, raced all the time. Um, and they were like the ideal BMX family, you know. And, and again, just what Clint said, they were one of the nicest group of people you could ever want to meet. I mean, I wanted to become part of their family. They were so <laughs> lovely. They were amazing. Yeah. Now, did you guys... Also... Add... No, go ahead. Um, yeah, one thing that became quite a kind of a side joke is how many biscuits Ant would eat in, in, in various people's houses. 
Yeah, I've got a bit of a reputation, Dale. You know, um, yeah, but a bit of a cookie monster. So, uh. but we, we also on on that journey down there, we called into a bike shop in Tiverton, which I'd kind of had my eye on for a while, and we met um, Rocket Ron, who ran the shop. Um, he had been in the, in the BMX scene since the beginning. He's helped out the track. He, he had an absolute stack of old photographs that he went and found for us. And, and, you know, some of the best people we've interviewed have just been accidental like that. You know, we've kind of stumbled across it rather than kind of done our research and, and, and found these people out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of the other things that were a bit of a revelation there were kind of, um, you call them maybe the lesser lights of the scene. So uh, what, one of the, the great interviews was Dale Goodwin. And, um, you know, uh, he, he was famous for jumping cars. Um, but, but what we got from him was amazing stories of like how he trained and his diet and how he was treated on, on, on his race team. Um, and also Pat Robinson, we went down to London. And, and Pat, again, you know, so many different stories from Birmingham Wheels to um, being in charge of a freestyle team. Um, and just, just, you know, the people that sometimes we were really pleasantly surprised, weren't we? And we were talking about this earlier before before we started, Dale, but, but Clint kind of alluded to the fact that um, we'd go to people and they'd be a bit wary of us. But but afterwards, you know, they were absolutely gushing with kind of um, kind of memories coming out of, you know, enthusiasm. And, you know, they were like, they were so glad we'd actually been to see them. Because I think for a lot of people, a lot of these things have been buried for a long time. And, and we brought back those good times and how important they were to them all. So... Yeah, absolutely, and and, and I saw it and again. I'm I'm looking forward to whatever you guys um you know put in the book about it. You guys made a trip to Ch to China as well, right? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, we took a trip to uh, China down in uh, Bristol. Who you know started out as um, uh, importing like skateboards, and then they were the big uh, importer of SE racing, um, and then Harrow as well. So we we were lucky enough. To, uh, Chris uh, Chris Allen from China. Um, lovely guy invited us down there on a Saturday uh, opened up the um, the offices and warehouse and gave us literally a complete tour of the whole building um, and he was absolutely um, he was so gracious he was absolutely amazing we got so much um, great stuff from him um, we yeah, can't, we can't uh, yeah. thank him enough really. no no and, and what we've got is these kind of as kind of like super fans of BMX. I mean, um, Dale, you're going to love some of the behind the scenes stories that have never been told about why certain products were sold, why certain products were made, the kind of um, behind the scenes deals that had to be made so that the parts via Japan got made in certain colours. Um, you know, again, we don't want to give too much away. Um, but they were they were absolutely fantastic, and for, for people like you, you know yourself, or I know who loves old school BMX, you, you're going to love some of the revelations that they're going to be in the book. You know, definitely, especially as to why some bikes came out in certain colours, or why why you could get tyres in certain colours. It was all down to distribution, how many you needed to order, and I think there's quite a few um, suppliers who were UK side, who wanted a different colour than was available at the time and had to convince the manufacturers that it would work in the UK. Because I think on more than one occasion, they suggest a colour like pink or yellow and they'd be uncertain. And they, they only knew their own market in America. 
where over here, I think we're, we're a bit more kind of fast and loose with the kind of colours and, 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 you know, kind of experimenting with things. Yeah, I think in many ways that's a, a kind of an underlying narrative again that you'll kind of read that, that the UK's influence was, was, was huge, you know, and often a lot of things in America were, were driven by the UK, which I think will be a bit of a revelation to a lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. What about writers and stuff then? Did you, did you talk to, you know, did you, I'm, I'm sure obviously you, you spoke to probably Ruffle, Craig Schofield. Did you manage to talk to Geff? I know Geff sometimes, um, yeah, doesn't want to be out there is telling his story too much, but uh, did you get a chance to talk to some of these guys? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Geth, Geth was one of the people who um, gave us some amazing quotes. Um, but the first thing he said to me was like, whatever you do, do not mention the Kelloggs. And I was like, that's fine, Geth. You know, we, we were after a different kind of story, different narrative. And mm -hmm. the questions we asked all the famous writers were, were, again, stuff that you wouldn't necessarily have read in the magazines at the time. You know, it's, it's the little details. And, and they, again, they're kind of a, their own emotional history. And, um, you know, get himself, you know, um, it's a brilliant quote where he talks about, you know, he would have given up being a sponsored rider for an endless summer and kind of, you know, getting around it, um, uh, going around the woods in his local, you know, his local fields nearby. Um, so, you know, and again, Craig Schofield was fantastic. He's another one where, you know, absolutely brilliant recollections and behind the scenes details. But again, we kind of... Um, it was important, we felt as well, that we were diverse with our interviewing. So, you know, we went to see Melanie Vorval and, um, you know, we wanted to have, um, you know, people like your sister Rachel Holmes in the book and Sarah Jane Nichols, because the, the girl's story is equally as important. And, um, you know, and, and again, you know, what we found was generally you know, the, the girls were very highly respected by the boys, and you know, contrary to what you might think. So... We found all these kind of hidden narratives and stories and agendas and, you know, um, again, we were, some, of, some of the most important things as well, Dale, was that we were very lucky because of our contact through old school events, is that we'd become friends with people like Morris Mayer and Martin Aparijo, and they were so kind of generous with their time and their kind of their old photos and their memories and very, very supportive. And we can't really thank them enough because... Again, rather than having their story about what, what you know what it was like in the states, we've got you know their recollection of what it was like to them, you know, on a rainy Wednesday in Grimsby having fish and chips. So you know that was a brilliant kind of you know coup for us, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm say I'm super. Like I say, yeah, the girls definitely there was a there's big presence. I think, and again, I'm talking the race world then in the '80s with you know my sister and and, and Sarah Jane and Melanie, and, and again, a lot of these girls really haven't got their stories out there, you know. So uh, I'm excited to to listen and or listen and and and, and read what the girls have to say. Um, obviously, with it being in the UK. Um, you know, pre-BMX, we still talk about it. Choppers, grifters. Have you guys hit on that in in the book? Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, there's an aptly named title called, um, what was it, Cotterpins and, and what was it? Cow Horns and Cow Horns and Cotterpins, <laughs> which kind of sums up that time straight away, you know, um, you know, as a kid myself, I, I kind of had a race, yeah, a little tomahawk and then I had a racer bike, but all the cool kids had those like massive cow horns and, um, you know, it, it was definitely a thing before kind of BMX hit our shores. We were riding around dirt tracks, but we didn't know what it was called. Um, 
But I suppose the biggest revelation of the bulk is the importance of the grifter. Um, you know, certain riders, when you ask them what was their first BMX, they would actually say a grifter. And I, th I think, you know, in Britain, sometimes we are rather negative about our history. You know, in America, they're very, you know, keen to say, you know, Joe Kidd on Stingray. But for many people, um, people started on grifters and there were grifter conversions. There were BMX forks available um, and people changed the seats and the handlebars and, you know, painted them up different colours and put stickers on them. Um, so that probably is the biggest revelation is that, you know, how many people, you know, raced, raced grifters and, and, you know, probably the first BMX races in the UK, you know, the unofficial ones were on, were on grifter bikes. So, you know, it, it, that's one of the kind of narratives that runs through that chapter. And, and it's, it's so important, you know, it's, it's a, it's a story that needs to be told. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that part as well. Uh, being a chopper guy myself, I always wanted a grifter, but uh, unluckily, um, yeah, it was a chopper for me uh, pre BMX. What about when you, when you guys are doing this? Because I, you know, obviously, saw the Facebook uh, group was just growing and growing all the time, and every day you'd see new people on, and I'd see people names and stuff I haven't seen in decades, you know. And it's so cool to, you know, as you, as this community was building. Did you guys like accidental, accidental, you know, people that you didn't even know? Maybe people that was a uh, bit more well known outside the BMX world that have done things that have came in and, and like say, I've seen all kinds of names in there. Anybody you want to touch on? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what, what's strange is like I have a memory like from being a kid of the coolest bike I ever saw was this kind of white PK Ripper. I think I've been given detention on like a Saturday morning. And I had to go in and, and outside sort of this place called Perrin's Hall was this white rip. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then sort of um, only a couple of years ago, I found out that that was um, a rider called Rich Holland's bike. And Rich Holland rode for TRM in BMX Beats. And he was like in the year above me at school and was a fantastic rider. And I had no idea, um, you know, that he was at my school. It's a small world. And then you know, through sort of Matt Harris and the Ron Boys movie, um, we got in touch with Max Cooper, who um, organises the Gumball uh, rally, which is like Ferraris and Porsches going across America. And again, I found out that he was a local lad to the Midlands, and we went to the same BMX shops and the same BMX tracks, and we had this kind of connection that we never knew, you know, was even there. So um, those kind of things have been fabulous for me on a personal level, you know, sort of finding out stuff that was very local to me. Um, and it, it really is a small world. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, I just see some of the names on that Facebook group, you know, as a guy, and I'm sure you guys will come across him, a guy called Carl Turner, another old school BMX guy from the Mid from the Midlands. And uh, he was yeah. in Bizarre Inc., you know. So, um, yeah, it's just amazing to see that people from went on to do other things and stuff and then still have that same bond of, uh, you know, there was an 80s BMXer in England, you know, so I always love, love that part when I hear that story, you know. Yeah, de definitely. Um, and as I say, it's growing and growing, you know, we're nearly at 5,000 sort of members on Instagram and and every day new people are joining our site and, and like like we've said before, it, it kind of, um, it, it just it just keeps growing and growing and, and therefore, you know, we're definitely thinking about a book too, um, you know, it would be a criminal not to do that. And uh, because there's so many stories and even, even like now I'm reading through the old magazines there like you do and, and going, wow, that guy's actually in our group. I, I had no idea that, you know, he, he was a freestyle rider in 86 and, um, you know, the, the kind of lesser riders that have got stories to tell, uh, you know, the, I think they're really important. 
And yeah, I, I think Dale, I think um, you mentioned this with a previous podcast you did with Mike Pardon. Is that you know obviously we set up the um, we set up the Facebook group, the Instagram group, and we were you know hoping that people would send in the photographs and memories. But it's actually turned into something much bigger than that that we never never envisaged really. You know, there's there's been so many people who maybe haven't spoken maybe twenty or thirty, well close on forty years in some cases who have reconnected, uh, which is amazing to see. You know, people sharing the memories um, of of those times and catching up and reconnecting again, reconnecting again, which is um, amazing. And and the other thing as well is that. Our, we've been very lucky that all the, the people who've um, contributed to our uh, Facebook or Instagram group, they're, they're just in it purely for the love of BMX. You know, there's no, it requires very little policing. There's no no politics. I, you know, I think I think in the whole in the whole time it's been running, which is you know three four years now, we've we've had to intervene. <sighs> Hard, hardly at all. People, Less than a handful of times. Li- literally, yeah. you know, everyone is just in it for. They've all got shared love, and that's and that's amazing to see, really. Yeah, and uh, what I, what I love about it is 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 that kind of democracy that, that a lot of people like me and Andy and Clint we can chat to people like you who are heroes from back in the day, and and we can become friends with people like you, and and it's just incredible and 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 that's that's again i think we touched on that about the ethos of the book that there's a real democracy it, it doesn't matter whether you're you know you, you had a burner or you had a you know a vdc or you were you were andy ruffle your stories are equally important because they tell the real story of those times to everybody yeah and no, absolutely it's a great community and i say sometimes i really i was telling you guys i was talking um, I really wish I was. I really wish I was in England sometimes, you know, because I, I would love to be in there and, and just say hanging out with you guys, meeting everybody, the interviews. It just seems so much fun, and uh, yeah, something I'd, I if I was there, I would love to be part of. Um, obviously, with the book, we've got to talk media. BMX, British BMX, has so much heritage, uh, history in the media. You know, with the magazines, BMX Weekly, BMX Action Bike, Racer and Freestyler, uh, all the stuff. You know, Mark Noble, Forty One Thirty. Um, yeah, so so much history. Uh, who, who do you get to talk to in the media, and uh, any any stories you can uh, share with us on, on in that department? Yeah, um, well, our funny our very first interview that we did for the uh, book was uh, with Sean Lawless, um, whose dad uh, Bill Lawless um, created the um, I think it was the first. BMX, well, newspaper or magazine in, in the UK, uh, BMX News. Mm-hmm. So it was, not, it was an honour and privilege to speak to Sean and hear his, his memories. And it was great to hear his stories, you know, from his dad about the beginnings of BMX and, you know, why he decided to create the, um, the, the, the newspaper. Because Bill Lawless um, was the editor of uh, uh, Trials and uh, Motocross magazine, um, and then he obviously saw that BMX was growing, so he decided to create a newspaper devoted to uh, to BMX. Um, so it was lovely to speak to Sean and to re- receive contributions and some, some words from Bill as well, who's sadly no longer with us. Um, and then from there, there on in, that led into the creation of um, BMX Bi-Weekly, which was created by the Higginsons. Yeah, uh, and, and again... Um... I've got to give a big shout out here for to Alan Woods, um, 
who you know very well, Dale, and, you know, obviously the godfather of UK BMX to many of us. Mm -hmm. um, without Alan's kind of support and contributions and, and positivity, a lot of doors wouldn't have been open necessarily as, as fast as they were. So, it, you know, it was thanks to Alan that we got to Shiner. It's thanks to Alan that we, we got in touch with the Higginsons um, and also sort of through other people like Alan. Uh, you know, I was very privileged to sort of have a conversation with uh, Richard Grant. Um, you know, Richard was living in France and we, we were asked to do a phone conversation and we kind of wanted to cover all bases. So, you know, we had BMX News, BMX Weekly. We had BMX Action Bike. Um, and then kind of uh, the next person was sort of um, Jeff Barraclough, who, who'd done the sort of famous book, Riders Ready, Pedals Ready, Go. And, um, you know, a, a real gentleman was Jeff and gave us real detailed kind of information about the story of how he did a book. And for us doing our own book, it was kind of a, a cautionary tale in many ways. Um, so, you know, it's something for, you know, he, he sort of printed so many copies and, and unfortunately, you know, maybe didn't have the, the kind of um, the right publicist and uh, things like that because, um, you know, Sally didn't sell as many copies as he wanted to. Um, but those kind of the, the media was so important to, to all three of us because, um, you know, I think it was to use a phrase that, that Tim March used in one of your podcasts. It, the, it was kind of the, the glue that held your week together kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're probably the same, Dale. You know, I can remember every page and every advert and every bike. And I think for for me, for, for me, Andy and Clint, I think, you know, speaking for us three, the fact that we didn't have a Harrow Freestyler or a Patterson or a JMC, I think that's why those things remain, you know, in, etched in our brains so much because they were, they were the stuff of dreams. And, um, you know, we still dream about them now. And I, and I think... Those magazines just—they—they they were as a, were just as important as as you know the Kellogg's on TV um, or going to the track. They you know for for most of us that was our way into BMX and the wider world of BMX. Definitely. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, fashion, music. Like I say, we're all kind of the same age. You know, everybody interested in all this and the, and the, and the Facebook group. Um, have you put some of that stuff in there as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Um, it, it, you know, me and Andy have always sort of been big on fashion. Um, you'll find out more about Clint if you read the chapter, um, which is kind of, um, you know, it's called Big Brands, uh, Mixtapes and Fakes. And I think that sums up the time, you know. The 80s, it was all about, you know, the Italian sports where Sergio Tacchini, Fila, Diodora, Kappa, um, you know, all those kind of aspirational brands. Nike was new to the scene. Um, and, and, you know, you know, let's not forget Vans. Vans were like the ultimate BMX shoe. And there's kind of a bit of a narrative in, in the fashion chapter that kind of, you know, there were those people that love Vans and those people that love Nikes. And, and kind of it's an interesting kind of to see people's take and who was sponsored by which and who liked to wear what. Um, and then, yeah, obviously there were, in the 80s there was a whole kind of... Um, breakdown scene and a lot of us who were into BMXs we were b-boys first and then there was kind of the whole casual scene and we were a mixture of b-boys casuals and BMXs and and even a lot of the girls kind of um would wear that kind of similar kind of stuff you know they would they would wear feeler jackets and Levi's and um 
So it was all kind of interlinked, and, and you know, the, Brent had this this weird kind of hybrid of casual and, and b-boy and BMXer, and it was something that kind of Craig Campbell picked up upon when we interviewed him. Um, and to me, and, and Andy as well, I think I think those things were just as important as the bikes. You know, being rad was looking cool. You know, it was kind of, you know, you had to have the right bike, but you also had the right, had to have the right shoes and the right trainers and and and. Um, you know your Farrah slacks that were slit, and you had to have the you know the the, the, the right sports gear, and it was kind of a, a moving feast that um, was was very changeable. And, and we found out about Melanie Vorval, who was sponsored by Benetton, which was a really cool thing, and she got so much money every month from them. Um, again, another happenstance kind of thing. Yeah, I think like answered, I think I think especially in the mid eighties, I think it was very much that time that although it was a difficult time for many, you know, like you had the miners' strike and other, you know, economical things going on. But at the same time, I think it was very like aspirational time. I think you know the, all those like mid eighties American movies, the big American brands like Skyway, you know, had the big adverts in uh, Action Bike, especially. You know, that was my dream bike back in the day. Well, it's, it still is actually. Um, but but I think at the time it was very aspirational, and 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 people people were looking to buy those like certain brands. You know, especially if you went abroad on a holiday, you might pick up like a, a, a Lacoste polo shirt. But you know, there's a lot of people who couldn't afford that stuff. So also there were, there were a lot of fake things around as well. So the you know the umpteen fake brands that were were around. And, and some of those get mentioned and, and featured in the book as well. So we've got numerous stories of, you know, people working on market stalls, you know, part time so they can, you know, get a bit of pocket money to buy the next, uh, you know, BMX parts and, and things like that, really. I think Ant wants to. Add yeah, something. yeah. My, my favourite story, Dale, is, um, you know, because we, a lot of us were very, very poor, was um, somebody sort of got their mum to cut out the Kappa logo out of Fuzzy Felt and they stuck it on a jumper with glue. And it's kind of, that sums up the 80s for me. You know, it was all about having those labels, wasn't it? You know? oh, love it, love it, love it. Um, as we kind of wrapping it up, I mean, you've talked on, or touched on, you know, uh, potentially uh, a book two. Uh, do you have a book launch date yet and um, events or the way you guys are going to promote it? What you guys got planned for that? Yeah, um, no, no dates in in in, uh, in the diary yet, but but we're we're working on something in the north, and then um, hopefully something very big in London. Um, we're in, we're in touch with you know like we don't want to we don't want to mention any names in case it doesn't happen. But one of the places we're also talking about having like an exhibition there for a week, so having the book launch and having kind of a display there. Um, so, you know, and we want to continue doing the archive. Um, we have plans as well to sort of look for wider funding and do a proper exhibition that may be travel around the country. Um, we're in touch with a couple of guys who are going to sponsor to be factory riders. Um, we'd like to do a tour maybe around the, the, the skate parks and, and put on BMX Beats, you know, sponsored by us. Um, you know, we're good friends with Matt Harris, as we mentioned before, who've done the Romboys. And, you know, the dream for me would be to do some kind of TV documentary. And I kind of jokingly said to all the people we've been to see, you know, would you, would you like me to come back with a video camera one day? And they've all kind of said yes. And mm -hmm. so that, that would be the dream ultimately. But, um, you know, the sky's the limit, basically. So, you know, we're very, very excited. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I think... 
Now, I think like, regarding the actual uh, the book itself, Dale, is um, like I say, it's been it's, it's been a long journey. It's been about four years in the making, um, but we're finally we're finally finished. It's finally done, uh, and the pre-sale is now now actually open. Um, the book itself, it's um, originally we thought maybe it might be oh, it might be two hundred and fifty pages, but it, it, it actually grew much <laughs> much larger than what the three of us could ever imagine. And it's actually it's actually four hundred and forty eight pages. Um, it's it contains over twelve hundred images, a um, hundred thousand words, um, and it and has contrib- um, uh, over four hundred contributors um, in the actual book itself. It's um, it's designed and printed in the UK. Um, we know we very much wanted to support you know UK UK businesses, so so we really wanted it to be designed and, and produced in the UK. It's it's a high it's going to be a high quality book, the highest quality. Uh, it's hardback. Um, like I say the pre sale is now open. It's um, it's going to be forty five pounds, um, but when you when you see and you feel the book, you can definitely see where where your your money has gone. Um, um, you'll need a quite a heavy table, I think. It's uh, it's a very, it's a very weighty book. Um, we're also going to be offering a um, deluxe package, which will include the book plus a few other extras as well, um, such as a couple of T-shirts, a high quality print. Um, and for those who want to pre-order, it's going to be very limited um, in numbers. Um, uh, yes. Um, yeah. Just to go back, our um, our designer was um, Ian Roxburgh. Um, so a massive thank you to him. He's done an amazing job. Uh, he's put up with the three of us. Obviously, with th- with three of us having slightly different visions, we really can't thank him enough for his dedication and patience. Yeah, we were very lucky to sort of hook up with with Ian Roxburgh, and and again the gen- at the genesis of the whole project. Um, and he had a great book um, called Snakes and Moguls, um, which was about skateboarding in the 70s and 80s in the UK. And we just loved the feel of that book. It kind of had, you know, the same kind of emotional uh, love um, of those times for skateboarding as we wanted to create, you know, with our book for BMX. And, you know, we went down to visit Ian and, you know, he got us straight away. He'd worked on Read and Destroy magazine. Uh, you know, and, and you know, skateboarding and BX aren't a million miles apart, and we hit it off straight away. And 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 to be honest, he's been a bit of a legend because um, you know, trying to shoehorn in you know twelve thousand images, you know, whittle them down to thirteen hundred, and and him, you know, often coming back to us going, I think this works better than what you, you know, if I put this here, this is going to work better. And and a lot of times, you know, he's got amazing skills, and we have to sort of bow down to his knowledge and. You know, but also he's been very, very accommodating because, you know, me, Andy and, and Clint, you know, especially me, um, we're not the easiest people to get on with at times and we're very demanding. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we, we want this book to be the best, the best BMX book of all time, you know, and, and, and thanks to Ian, I think, you know, we're very close to doing that, you know, and I, and I think anybody who has any love for BMX, old or new, you know, will get something from this book. Okay. And, um, yeah. So if you want to buy the book, it's going to be available at www.weberad.com. And as I say, the pre-sale is now open and it's at a cost of £45. 
for the bulk. And um, it's probably the best £45 you'll ever spend, Dale. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and the social media, if people want to, if they're not already um, on the Facebook, Instagram, um, what, yeah, what's the uh, info on that? Yeah, so thanks, Dale. Yeah, so we're on, uh, we're on Facebook. So if people on Facebook, if you search for We Were Rad Book Submission Group, you can find us on Facebook. And also on Instagram, uh, we were rad. Um, so we are. We although the actual book is is completed, we are still welcoming um, any submissions or people to submit the stories and photographs. Um, again, because it, you know we're amassing an archive of this material. Um, you know, for for posterity, really. You know, year on year. Um, you know, so people people get older, people move house. And these images and stories um, potentially are being lost uh, over time. So, you know, we are aware that we are um, gathering and collating very, you know, well, pieces of history, really. And we, we all think that's really important to do that. No, that's amazing. You guys are doing that. And I've spoke about it numerous times in podcasts before. You know, it seems like it's in our hands to kind of preserve the history and, and what you guys are doing. It's amazing. I love it. You know, I was just listening to that was, you know, the, the work and time that you guys have put in. And, uh, and, and like I say, to continue to archive our sport in England, they do a great job in the U S and, uh, and I feel that we, we need, and, you know, need to do the same in England. And, it, and thanks to guys like you, it's happening. And, uh, I can't wait to, uh, to see it, uh, you know, the launch and everything you guys do. And like I say, next time in the UK, hopefully soon, um, can hook up with you guys and we can, uh, yeah, yeah, look forward to, to hearing more. And maybe we can we can do a podcast as everything kind of launches and stuff and uh, keep in touch and, uh, yeah, continue to uh, spread the word. That's brilliant. Um, just a brief shout out to um, the UK uh, British Olympic champion, Charlotte Worthington. Uh, we, were, we were very lucky uh, last week to do our book presentation at the Q&A that she was doing. Um, and it was fabulous to meet her and sit on the Olympic bike. And and kind of, even for someone like her, she, she was very honest and said she didn't know much about BMX history. And um, and I think there's, there's a whole kind of generation that maybe doesn't know about the 80s, you know. And, and it really was the beginning days and the seeds that led to, to success like Charlotte's and um, you know, Beth's and, and, and Kai's and all that, all the brilliant stuff that happened at the Olympics. And, um, you know, we, we, I, I, I cried, you know, when Charlotte won the gold medal. It was just such an amazing run. And it, it felt like, you know, it was part of our journey. We, we you know, and probably yours, Dale, as well, and, and Alan's and everybody who's kind of loved BMX for, for their lifetime. Um, just an amazing thing. So big shout out to Charlotte. Brilliant. Keep it up. We want to see more medals. Definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely, guys. I think it's been a great summer, and uh, yeah, I think I think Alan said it best. You know, it's kind of coming a full circle in the UK with the success them guys finally got. You know, with the Olympics and and BMX and freestyle edition, um, seems like it's it's great, and it's a great time to uh, to share the stories, the history, and uh, like I said, you guys are doing an unbelievable job. I love it, and uh, hopefully, we guys can uh, touch base and chat again, and uh, keep you can guys can keep us updated on everything going on. Fantastic, Del. Uh, really great to speak to you. We, we thank you for your support as well. Yeah, and, and can't wait to meet you, you know, back in the UK for real, you know, and maybe go and do a couple of interviews with some more people together and or just hang out, have a, have a beer and talk BMX, definitely. Absolutely, guys. I'm totally down and I will uh, definitely be in touch when, uh, when I land over there for sure.
Excellent. Thank you, Darren. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks. I hope everybody enjoyed this one. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll all see you next time. Cheers.